Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome to another episode of Burning with Bim. I'm Joey Whitney, and with me is David Campbell. What's up, David? Ah, what's up, Joe? Ah, notice you got a beer there. What you drinking? Oh, I am drinking a, if you guys can see it, a Robert the Bruce from uh, Three Floyds here in Munster, Indiana. So I came out, I decided to drive across country during these weird times and visit some family in Indiana and got some uh, good local beer, actually. You and I have a story about this beer already. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, fun times. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Painful mornings. Yes, these things will get you messed up. Yeah. Very painful mornings. Well, Robert the Bruce, man, I guess I'll stick with the Scottish theme there. I've got um, Scottish-born uh, brew dog, but it's uh, brewed in Ohio. Uh, born in Scotland, brewed in Ohio, and I'm drinking their Hazy Jane. Okay. Which I don't remember if I've had on this podcast. I know I've had their Elvis juice, which is my favorite so far by them. Hazy Jane's great, but that Elvis juice—I don't know if it's the name, but or not, but they, I don't know something about it. Yeah. Can't, can't put my finger on it. It's, it's delicious, <laughs> you know. Um, but I—I'll uh, drink these nonetheless. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. happy with that, man. So um, I'm a sucker got, for hazy IPAs, dude. I'm a I'm a sucker for hazy IPAs. You know. I like uh, citrus IPAs more, but uh, so if I get uh, like a grapefruit or um, an orange, like a blood orange, mm-hmm. I think that's probably my preferred. But these are right up there. These are delicious. So, what what makes an, a hazy IPA, by the way? You know, I'm actually not sure. What is it? Ah uh, man, I, I we feel... know, right? We have an episode about we have a podcast about beer. And you think that one of us well, is the hazy part that it? Oh, it's clouded clarity for the IPA generation. Uh, so it's clouded. Can be largely a result of dry hopping, a method of adding hops. Oh no. This one yeah. doesn't have as much fruit flavors as a, as it makes out to have. It doesn't have. I don't get the pineapple, like it's saying, uh, or the mango. I definitely get some hints of lime. But uh, hey, it's delicious nonetheless. Mm-hmm. We'll, have to, we'll have to figure that out. I'm um, so speaking of while we're on this topic of brewing and beer and whatnot, I am very close to um, getting my stuff set up now. I've uh, had you know a sequence of projects leading up to this that uh, have just been stalling me. So as you know, I redid my deck and now I've built my kids a playground. Uh, I'm going to take a, like a two or three week repre- reprieve and then we're going to do our um, uh, remodel the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, in before I get started on that, I, that's where I'm going to set up my uh, my brew set. So um, after this weekend, so probably yeah. starting next weekend, uh, I'll be ready to roll. All right, man. I mean, I'm going to be in Indiana for a month, so I'm going to have to put my brew on hold for a little while. But as soon as I get right, back. Man. 
We'll as pay soon turns. as I get back. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We could take turns. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So I've read, reading here a little bit about uh, hazy IPAs. It can come from um, different using different yeast strains to ferment the beer, a medium to low flocculating yeast strain. Um, another way to create flocculating. That's a word, man. Boom. <laughs> They tend to stay in suspension within the liquid rather than aggregate into large masses and either drop out or rise to the surface. So oh, more. okay, that makes sense. So um, you don't get you get the particles in your beer. Like I've had hazy beers before, but they, the sediment always filters down, so this just yep. sticks. Um, it just floats. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then uh, through another way to create haze is through high rates of dry hopping. All right. So it's almost like it's emulsified in the beer itself. Like it's, yeah. it's like mixed in there. All right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty a, cool. That's uh, good to know, man. I mm. probably won't be brewing a hazy IPA for quite some time, but. Uh, yeah. The more you know. The more I know, man. The more I know. Yeah, I'm a. Now, like I'm actually like. Battle. I'm a. I'm actually on the fence about what I'm going to brew for the first time, so I'll have to figure that out. Uh, um, next week I'll probably. Build my setup, and then the week after that, mine was a porter. Porter? Mine was a porter. I can't, you know, honestly, I just went with a chocolate vanilla bean porter. Yeah. I used cocoa nibs and vanilla beans, and honestly, I don't know. It was, it actually turned out really, really good. So, uh, it was, it was I, that was. Hmm. I'm uh, I'm off the porter bandwagon, man. I used to do, um, like double chocolate stouts and you know oatmeal mm. stouts and all that, stuff. like very very thick, hearty beers. And uh, now I just, I can't do it, man. I need something a little, I'm such a whip now, but I need something a little fruitier in flavor. And it all started Oh, yeah, no, I'm kidding, dude. I'm right there with you, honestly. I can only drink a couple of these these heavier beers, you know, and by the time I'm I'm like two or three into it, I'm like, "Ah, and we're done. But if you give me a good, like, hazy IPA, or let's even say a sour, Dave is down for sours. Oh, yeah. Give me a lambic or a sour, I'm good. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, did, did you ever drink Shiner? Yeah, Shiner, Shiner Brock. Shiner, Shiner Brock, Brock? Yeah. yeah, dude. So it's brewed in uh, Texas, and in Texas, um, you know, North Texas, we had a few, you know, artisanal breweries. You know, this is 10 years ago. Um, there were a few of them. I think Roaring Sons um, uh, was probably the big one. Deep Ellen Brewery. Like there were there were there were a few out there. Uh, but everybody flocked to Shiner. It was like that was the premium beer. Like if you were yeah. going to the bar, you know, everybody would drink Miller Lite, PBR. But if you had money, you were drinking a Shiner. Yeah. Um, Shiner does these seasonal beers, uh, and they did this uh, ruby red grapefruit. Um, and ever since then, man, it was ginger and grapefruit. I ever since oh, then, yeah? I'm just, I'm, I was hooked on it. I mean, heck, man, it was 100 plus degrees during the summers in Texas. Um, every day, man, without yeah. fail, hundred plus degrees. Um, you just, you can't drink something heavy. Like it, nope. you need some, you either need some piss water beer or, you know, American uh, pills. Oh yeah. Or you need, uh, uh, something that's got a little fruit to it. Well, that's what I'm saying, dude. So, you know, me and the, my buddies used to go down and watch the Indy 500 or the Brickyard, uh, you know, so when you're in Oregon, you're a hippie. When you're here, you're a redneck. I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, you learn real quick that the heavier beers, you know, just don't work out. A lot of them would drink uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, but I always like the uh, Lining Kugel Summer Shandy, the Lemon Shandy. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
A good a good light shandy beer, yeah, dude, you can drink that all day, and they're not gonna get you. I mean, they're gonna get you a little buzz, but you know, yeah. Well, you should um, you should definitely what? So when you get back to Oregon, um, uh, there's this group of breweries called Cascade Brewery, mm-hmm. and they've got multiple locations, and they each brew different stuff. The Raccoon Lodge, uh, it's uh, on the other side of town. It's in Beaverton, so you're in. Sandy, it's across yep. town, across the river. Um, and you might be able to find this somewhere else. I just know they have it. They have, like, um, cranberry, you know, lambics and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Thanksgiving, like, fruit beer. Yeah. They're just, like, they're, they're phenomenal. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah they're, they're great, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I was spoiled early on with, like, Delirium Tremens and, you know, a bunch of uh, uh, Travis Breweries. Uh, I, I love that style. And then all of a sudden, you know, I moved to the Northwest and it just shredded my taste buds with IPAs. Oh, yeah. So now it's IPAs and sours, man. That's 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 all I can really tolerate. Now. Yeah. Dude, Every I, now I walk I, into I walk into like Walmart and I and I went to the local liquor store, you know, and I was kind of curious about what craft beer they would have. And uh, you, you see a very small section of craft beer and you see like Elysian space dust and, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Made their way out there. I love it, man. Yeah, dude. I, it's it's pretty awesome. They uh, they make some good stuff. But, you know, then I, I'm quick to uh, I'm not quick. You know, you'll, you'll scout it and see kind of what's out there. But at the same time that I'm looking over like, oh, man, uh, oh. Uh, those Yinglings are uh, are looking kind of nice, especially at like what 13, 14 bucks. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, go. yeah, you can't beat the price. <laughs> no, I'm a, I, you know, like there's a time and a place for good beer. We we're all beer snobs, but there's a time and a place for good beer, and then there's a time and a place for like just relax and you know kick back and drink some beer. Like yep, you know some some uh you know PBRs. piss water beer as it's called or whatever you know. Goes down like water. You hey, just yeah, sour dude. water. Drink it. Yep. It's fine. Uh, it's not screwing me up. I'm. I can drink like four of them and 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 be completely fine. Hang out and uh, you know it's just a, it's a social occasion, especially when the weather's warm, man. Yep. Uh, I don't know where oh, how yeah, where you guys are, but it's been like 95. Oh, dude, it's 85, so hot. Just, humid. Yeah. Yeah. The humidity out here. I forgot about it, dude. So legit though, I forgot how much sun is out here. Like in the Northwest, you can we don't really think much about sunblock too much, you know. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit, but no. And it's just not humid. You come to Indiana, and it's like the humidity is like you're in, you walk into a rainforest. Like it's hard to breathe. It's like ugh. It sticks to you. Thick, man. yeah. And Atlanta, it's Georgia humidity. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, we're all outside the other day. You know, we're thinking we're cool at a at a birthday party. You know, cookout kind of thing. I'm like, oh, this is great. Next thing I know, I'm looking at my arms. Like my face is on fire, and my stuff is burnt, burnt. Like I was like, wow. I didn't. I didn't even think I was out that long. Hey, man, I set up a little splash pad for my kids, and uh, I don't even think he was out there that long. My little man. Uh, we sprayed. Um, I sprayed some, you know, some of the aerosol, uh, uh, like the copper tone sunblock. Stuff. Yeah, 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 sunblock on him. Um, which, you know, sprayed stuff isn't very effective. It needs to like, it needs to be absorbed in your skin, give you a layer of protection. But um, I don't know. It must have been like 40 minutes later. I look at him yeah. and he's like glowing red. I'm like, oh shit! Like, 
I can't just redraw like part of it that I'm like trying to figure out because we're doing we're redoing the garage and I've tried redoing this several times and figuring out where I can have like my fishing stuff and where she can have her craft stuff like and then the storage for all the different seasons and then of course her storage for her stuff that she has before and then camping and it's been it's been interesting man I'm like all right all right we're going through uh iteration like 12 now okay do you have an attic (laughs) no uh yeah actually we do yeah yeah very small use your attic oh it's small I, um, yeah, I mean, definitely put stuff up there. If I laid some plywood up there, I think that might be something. I think we got plywood laid on half of our attic, but it doesn't have the pull string, you know, stairs down like my last house. Yeah. So it's just inconvenient to use. But like now that I'm like, man, I really want to free up my garage. My garage is like, you know, uh, I got a surface planer, thickness planer. I've got uh, a chop saw. I've got a uh, drill press. And I've got, you know, automotive tools and a rolling rolling uh, toolbox. And then I've got, you know, like um, miscellaneous tools off to the side of that, you know, levels, uh, clamps, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the bulk of my garage is taken up by totes of just like nothing but toys. <laughs> Thousands of dollars of toys that my kids, I swear to God, will never touch again, but they won't let me get rid of. Oh, no. My, no, those go to those for me go to like Goodwill. I'm like, hey kids, every once in a while I'm just like, hey kids, we're gonna go ahead and clean your rooms and get rid of the toys that you guys don't play with. We're gonna give these to another child to play with because this is ridiculous. But no, I have trees and Easter and Christmas decorations and Halloween and I got all, all that like, too. Stuff. It's like six totes, man. It's not that much for me. Like holidays. Yeah, that's a lot. Like... Six got, totes. Yeah, I got like six totes of that stuff. But then I've got That's like lot. 20 totes of, of just random kid crap. And my wife's books. My wife is like an avid book collector. Although she oh. hasn't read a paper book in like 10 years. She reads <laughs> everything on her phone. She's got, you know, the, the Kindle app. And that's, you know, yeah. that's all she reads. She reads it on her phone. Uh, meanwhile, me, I've got a little library over here. I've got books everywhere that I'm reading. And uh, yeah. I've got maybe like one or two totes full of books. She's got like six totes, no joke. And one of her totes <laughs> is, is um, like collectible first editions, but they're not yeah. like famous first editions. Oh. They're like books. It's like, are you sure you want this? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's first edition. No, no, you don't want this. Trust me. <laughs> if, if it's worth anything, sell it. Come on now. Yep, yep. But, uh, I got these freaking T.Y. Beanie Babies, so I ended up buying oh my these. God. Dude. I've got yeah. I've got a tote of those too if you Do want. Do you them. really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife has them from when she was a kid. I have these Ty Beanie Babies. I have three of them in plastic containers because they were the the mistake ones and. Those are worth. Are, those were worth money. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they're worth money, but I'm just like I don't know what to do with them, so yeah. I just kind of set them on the shelf because. Like, I, don't, I don't want people to play with them, and I don't really know what to do because I don't know when the right time to sell it is. So I'll just sit on it for I a little while. I think the longer. right time to sell it is whenever you can find somebody to buy it. Like, that that, that's me. True. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. 75 cents. I don't care. Take it, man. Just just take it, dude. It's yours. Bye. <laughs> I would uh, have a garage sale and just put the whole dang toad out there for 10 bucks and get what you get, man. <laughs> Take it, man. Just take it. Look, some are worth money, oh, no. some are yeah. not. Just take, take it. Take it and run. Take it and run. 
Yeah. Um, oh, God. I just, I, I dread the day we move again because we got so much shit. Oh, I, I'm not throwing away any of my totes, though. When we moved cross country, I kept all my totes. They're taking up a lot of space in my shed, but it's like, you know what? It's worth it than spending, you know, $800 on totes again. Freaking, I, I probably got like, you know, uh, 120 totes, probably. Yeah. A lot yeah. of freaking totes. Wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like, oh, shit, at least, at least if we do this, we'll, you know, still have the totes to, to go from. Uh, the wife's already talking about, uh, I know we're way off topic. We haven't even gotten to the meat of what we were going to talk about here today. Right? We haven't even gotten to the actual. We haven't even introduced the topic, yet. man. Shit. <laughs> yes, whatever. I, I ain't seen you in like, I don't know, a week? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, the wife's talking about moving again. She's like, well, you know, five years from now, we should probably look at uh, getting some land. And uh, I'm like, oh my God. What? You know what it's going to take to pack this up? <laughs> we just burn it down Dude, oh, man. that's what that's one of the reasons that's spurring our thought about moving right now is you know i love the pacific northwest but the cost of living is ridiculous it's it's high and you try to buy like a house with land and it costs a lot of money yeah, and so even buying land yeah yeah, dude, you have to be a millionaire. And to buy land right now, Joey, I, I, dro- I drove past a sign. It was Berkshire Hathaway and Sandy. And I think it was like four acres for undeveloped land, $300,000. Oh. Like, I can't I can't afford that. I can't even put a house on that. Yeah. I got ten grand for a house. <laughs> I mean, we got about $50,000. Let's just put a, a tiny house in there somewhere and we'll figure it out. Yeah, with four kids. Yeah, right. Three dogs, a yeah. million cats. Everybody's yeah. getting yurts. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, the weather's mild enough. It should be all right. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were we wanted some land too, but we were we were fortunate with our property in in Portland. We we you know we ended up one one street outside the city limits, so we were in a different. Uh, county, so our taxes were like nothing, like two grand. Um, and then on top of that, yeah, it's beautiful. It's the Midwest, I mean, you think about that, like the, the taxes that you, I don't know what you're paying now, but the taxes that I was paying in Indiana were not anywhere close to that. Like lower or over? Lower, yeah. Oh, yeah. Two grand? Yeah. Oh, man, that's nice. Um, so I live in Pittsburgh, just north of Pittsburgh now. If I was. Um, about five, ten minutes, probably about five minutes south in Allegheny County, the taxes would probably be like, I don't know, 10, 12 grand. But because I'm in Butler County, it's like, I don't know, like three grand maybe. Yeah, it's insane. Like, and, wow. And it's it's not the county tax or anything like that. It's the school taxes are just insane here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. I'm like, hey, your school's crazy, not that good. Dude. Right. Anyways, like, is your school really that good? But anyway, so so uh, <clears throat> today's episode <laughs> brought to you by beer. Brought to you by beer. Yeah, right. Oh man. So what are we gonna talk about today, Joey? Do you want to introduce it? No, I'm gonna go right ahead, bud. All right. So the topic that we had talked about this week. Um, and I really thought it would be good to talk about is actually um, like constructability, right? And getting people involved 
uh, a little bit sooner in the process. So as we all know, you've been around the block with BIM um, and translating that data to construction um, can be kind of hard sometimes, right? And, and making sure that uh, the designers, the draftman, draftsmen, draftswoman, what have you, um, have enough knowledge on how this is actually going to be built to detail it correctly so that the general contractor or subcontractor, what have you, um, can take the drawings and run, right? So they don't have to do rework. But unfortunately, we don't have that, right? There's a lot of, there's a gap. There's a, there's a big gap. There's a, a lot of lack of, of training and, and kind of knowledge. In, in some ways, I'm not going to say all over, but uh, we've seen a pretty large gap there that needs to be bridged. And um, Joey and I were talking about it earlier this week and kind of looking at different softwares and different things that we can um, kind of use. And I, I was actually on a, a phone call this week with uh, a very passionate individual um, who happens to be, you know, also in the construction industry. And we were talking about um, actually BIM 360, right? And everybody's like, oh, Dave, you're on BIM 360 again. I know, I know. But so here, here's the thing. We have, you know, BIM 360 design and, and maybe a BIM, a BIM 360 document management seed is, is, is fairly cheap, right? Um, you think about giving a, a contractor, general contractor, subcontractor, fabricator, what have you, access earlier in your timeline of that design Give them access into document management and the capability to get into the model, get into these drawings, and start creating issues, right? Start creating comments, markups, placing markups, attaching images, specs, anything to help with the knowledge gap, right? Bridging that knowledge gap because that's really what we want to do. We want to bridge that gap and, and find the way to move forward together, and I really think that way – as, as I'm kind of saying here, is involving coordination kind of sooner, right? Get everybody involved. Get somebody that seat so they can get in and, and make it part of the timeline of your project. Make it part of the contract. Hey, uh, this is when we want you to get involved and start looking at these drawings, looking at these details. So and, – and in sense – People are going to say that's a lot of time that I got to spend up front trying to teach people how to how to detail. Man, is this really going to be worth it? If you think about it, the amount of rework, the amount of change orders that happen on some of these jobs can be easily alleviated by getting the right person involved in the process sooner. And even if they're just watching it, right? They don't have to. I mean, when they see that that things have evolved to where they can adjuster that can actually say, okay, we're getting a little off track here. This is where it needs to go. Or, hey, you're, you're just missing this and this. I, I think that both sides are gaining from that, right? Not just the, the contractor, subcontractor, GC, what have you, but also the design side of themselves because at that point you're sharing that knowledge, right? And, again, helping to avoid rework downstream. Yeah, so this is a conversation, one I've had recently with uh, both parties. I've had this conversation with the uh, engineering staff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, here in the Midwest. Um, I say here in the Midwest, in the Midwest, 
technically I'm in Appalachia. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, and then again, I I just had this conversation just uh, yesterday and actually part of bleeding into today from a connection that's in uh, uh, Portland on the electrical contractor side. So their big thing is, um, we'll start, we'll start from the contract, from the, uh, from the actual contractor, the installer side, the field guy side, um, unknowledgeable, unknowledgeable people are modeling, but don't know how things should be built, like the constructability aspect. It then falls to field personnel to say, no, this doesn't work like this. And and then we, you and I talk about prefabrication a lot. Mm-hmm. You can't prefabricate off of a non-constructible model. It doesn't work. You have, it it's doesn't work happen. at all. No, it's not going to happen. happen. Yeah, you're going to have to rip it all apart and rebuild it, essentially. So how do you mitigate this, this issue? Well, one, you could, you know, take the, you know, lengthy time to educate um, the modelers as to how this needs to be detailed, how your routing preferences need to be set up. You know, like uh, in, in Revit, you have the, the template that, that you can set up, you can set up your routing preferences. Um, uh, you also know, you know, clearances and the, where you can put this, where you can put that, all that sort of stuff. Um, that's not built in the template. In Fabrication Academy P, we can write scripts to kind of tell things, you know, where they need to go and, and fix things. Um, Revit's a little harder to, to, you know, think about in that, that respect. I guess that maybe if you got in a dynamo, you could do some stuff, mm-hmm. um, code oh, compliance, yeah. all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yep. Yep. But, um, so the field team is spending twice as long when they could have just drawn it out, you know, freehanded it out themselves and said, actually, this is the way it needs to yep. be, uh, you know, be set up. And this is what you need to go back and put your models. So, uh, well, and I think you're right there on the other side of that coin with the field personnel at that point have to learn how to utilize that design software, like Revit in this case, um, Fabrication Academy P. They have to learn how to, which a lot of times that's fine. They want to learn how to draft it. But at the same time, then they're spending more time and more money teaching people how to use this program but, so they can try to rework it. But that's not their job. Their job is to install it. Yep. They're yeah. So so they're doing two jobs. They're yep. they're one having to do the job, of, redo the job of the modeler, but two having to um, install and and you know make sure that everything's installed the way that it should be per code and and done to that. So the model essentially is unusable and it means nothing during coordination if you're changing it after the fact, right? Yeah. Yep. So what's the point? Yeah. So. Um, uh, Really, it's all about bridging that gap, dude. That's it. It's communication, it, right? It's it is communication. Down. Yes. Yeah. So, so uh, we're going to talk about BIM 360 because this is what we're familiar with. But it's so much easier to do this stuff in something like BIM 360 or Plan Grid or whatever tool you're using. Whatever. Because tool. as soon as the modeler uploads their designs, right? Over time, this modeler is going to learn what can and can't be done. Yep. But today they're green, right? That's just, just a fact of life. It's going to happen. People come, people go. You get new people. You know, they don't know how you work. They don't know what's, you know, the way things are supposed yep. to be. That's fine. And you can't take 40 hours a week and educate them on top of your 40-hour-a-week job. It, yep. it just doesn't fit into the schedule. So what do you do? 
you look at a communication tool, a collaboration tool that allows you to look at the designs that they are putting out as they're doing it and simply make some markups, whether it's, you know, Bluebeam Studio, BIM 360, yeah. however you're doing it. Upload, they upload a file and, and then you just come through and mark it up and say, no, here's why, here's why, here's why, here's why. And then hopefully the next time or the next three times from now, you know, they're they're looking at like, oh, okay, never mind. I realize I can't do it that way. Yep. So you're yep. in a sense training them just by using a collaborative plat- platform that has built-in communication tools and and that sort of stuff. Um, and you know, if they ever say, well, why can't I do it like this? Well, do you remember three projects ago when we were working with so and so on this data center? Well, that's why you can't do that. Oh, that makes sense. Like, I don't know. It becomes more tangible if you have a an example that you can build off of that sort of stuff. Now on the other side of that. The engineers, the designers, I work with those guys quite a bit as well. And not so much the engineers, but the designers, right? Like they're, especially if they're green. I've worked with former architect, you know, they weren't architects, but they worked for an architect firm uh, that somehow ended up at a mechanical contractor. If they're doing the design work at a mechanical contractor, they don't know how this stuff's supposed to be set up. Well, that said, you know, somebody told them, hey, look, this is the way we need to do it. We're using this system. This is the engineers, you know, gave me. This is the way we're modeling it, you know. Yep. Um, so, so I understand that side of it, too. But um, still, it's just got, got, it's got to boil down to communication in my, my mind. Like, yep. you've got to communicate to them, back to them so that they know. But at the same time, maybe they're designing it in a certain way. And maybe it's a limitation of the program which I've seen a lot, a limitation yeah. of the program is why they, they design something a certain way. Um, and, and with that, it, it just kind of is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, giving them the capability to have those conversations early in the process or earlier in the process is only going to be beneficial. I mean, because at that point in time, you can share that field knowledge with the engineering knowledge and they can come to a compromise, that middle ground, right? And say, okay, uh, Actually, it's funny, but my background was with a design build firm, and a lot of times I would go to a mechanical engineer or an architect and for what I was drafting, and you know they would tell me how to detail things, certain things, certain ways, and that's what I was doing. And then you'd get the the project manager, the supervisor would come up and and ask, okay, why are we doing it this way? Well, I'm doing it this way because that's the way the engineer specified it, but you know, at that point, they have to go to the engineer or the architect and say, okay, why did we do it this way? Can we do it this way? And it, it's, I've seen it done through paper, right? And and generally at that point in time, it's already at least a few days old and they're probably building off portions of it, right? They're already starting to do things and, and the PM's coming up like, hey, so I don't like this. We got to we got to do this fast and then you're rushing to try and rework and get those changes printed out so they can push it out to the field. And a lot of these guys are honestly already looking at it and the PM's going, no, we're going to build it like this, but I got to go talk, you know, and and then we're going to and then we're going to, you know, get it detailed like this so then we can build it like that. Okay, man. Yeah, it's a it's a fun process, man. Um, Another thing is I was chatting with an engineer recently. And uh, um, they had a, um, an interesting perspective, right? So uh, how do you make an engineer not just a designer, right? So mm-hmm. it seems like the where we're going 
um, models are being produced by lots of third-party sources, maybe not detailed the way they should be or anything like that. But in the end, um, you know, they're just paying for it. And then the, the field team is saying, oh, actually, let's change this, change this, change this, because it's being solved. Uh, so the engineers stamp the first drawing, but after that, everything is, you know, in somebody else's hand. Yep. How does the engineer get to stay involved longer to ensure that it's done properly? Because, um, I mean, you got to do system load calculations. Like, all this stuff is, yep. is important. Um, not so much just, you know, just routing preference. Where can I make this fit? Yeah. Um, and then the other part of that is coordination. Like, uh, so an engineer wants to be involved through coordination so that when you make a change, they're, they can, you know, their iteration yep. of the model that they stamped the first time, uh, you're not just going back and saying, okay, well, we'll change this. You gave us the Revit model. We'll just tweak this to make fit our needs. Yep. No, 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 no. It needs to go back to the engineer to make sure that that fits. And then they can restamp if, if need be and re recertify. Um, and then one, one last thing on that. Um, so as, as, as engineers and, and field teams kind of work more on, on, uh, on projects earlier, like we start talking about IPD type projects, that sort of stuff, yeah. uh, concurrent engineering, um, you know, kind of defining the liabilities and making sure who's responsible for what, as well as figuring out that detailing process earlier on, because that's really what concurrent engineering is, is uh, the uh, field teams involved with the, you know, subcontractors involved with the engineer to say, hey, look, you know, Mr. Engineer, you're designing this system, but we're going to install it this way. This is the way we're going to do it. And we need to detail this because of these routing preferences. And, and there's this, you know, coordination aspect that we have to, we have to figure out. And it's just easier if we do this. And the engineer's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, the engineer stamps that drawing. Um, you know, are they done? Are they done from there? You know, how do they how do they get to stay involved longer? I guess that was the biggest question that, that got uh, uh, approached to me by an engineer when we were chatting about um, uh, concurrent engineering and IPD projects is yeah. how, how, you know, they don't want to just, one, they want to speed up the process for their client, right? That's their whole thing is we want to make it efficient for a client to speed it up. But two, we want to make sure that our standards are still in place and it's being installed at, you know, as is. And that's when we started chatting about like scan software where you yeah. can do scan verification because verification is, you know, in my mind, probably the biggest part. If you can verify that it's to the engineer's specs and standards, that's yeah. a pretty good thing. That is a very good thing, honestly. I mean, um, you think about connecting the entire process together um, and, and keeping them, I want to say, involved throughout, of course, the design process, but into handover and the construction process. And as that develops, uh, scans, verification software are only going to help um, I, I really want to think that the engineers would feel better at that point looking at the engineer or the, I'm sorry, the verification data and saying, okay, well, these are my tolerances and everything in this is up to my tolerance. Cool. You know, that would be, that would be an interesting um, aspect to include from an engineer standpoint is uh, if they could figure out a way to scan after installation to make yeah. sure, you know, for verification. Like I think that yep. that'd be, because right now, a lot of a lot of I think I would think the engineering would, um, of course, continue, not really continue, but their monitoring, I guess, of it would continue 
into the punch walking phase, right? The QAQC. Yeah, yeah. Kind they're of, using they, you know the pro cores, the BIM 360s, the punter grids, whatever, yeah. and they're involved in, in in that side of stuff, um, tracking it. But are you catching everything? Are you reviewing no, every? That's the thing. No, you're not, man. How often are you doing this? How often are you going on those walks? And do you think that your eye is going to catch every single thing in there? And there's so many distractions going on a construction site. I mean, yeah. it is a construction site, right? They are chaotic. It, I mean, they're beautiful, but they are chaotic at times. I mean, they really are. I, I, I agree with you, man. I actually find beauty in a construction site. I don't know what it is. Um, there is one part of a construction site that I do not find beautiful, and that is uh, um, the, the poor surveyor that's pounding hubs. Uh-oh. And, uh I thought you were going to say the porta johns outside. I was like, yeah, I have to agree with that. Those are never beautiful. <laughs> but, <laughs> you oh, know, man. just do what you got to do. Three days. John's numbers in that wall. This person has very artistic. They have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> Come on, guys. Oh, man. I've, I've been in some bad porta johns, man. But, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh man, <laughs> I won't go any more on the port of John. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, no, it's a uh, pounding hubs, man. It's a, uh, I don't remember what I think it was. Um, I don't remember what it was. Some retail, maybe it was a new Walmart or something like that. It was in a, uh, um, North Dallas. I was um, setting some hubs. Um, they had laid one concrete pad. We were about to do another. Just finding out some hubs, and um, on the because it was it wasn't just a Walmart. It was a whole retail like section. Like they built a um you know like a monstrosity like complex. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had a uh, they had a, a Walmart as the anchor, and then there was you know the the outlet mall stores off to the side. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. The Verizon's, the Starbucks, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Jimmy John's, whatnot. Um, so while, while this was, you know, the, this pattern was already built up here, we were pounding hubs over here, but over here on the other side, they were still, um, doing some kind of, you know, they were still excavating, doing, doing a little machine control. Um, well, that damn tractor kept coming by me, man. And it is just belting out diesel fumes. And I'm sitting there, I think it was like 105 degrees out. I'm pounding hubs in Texas red freaking clay man yeah. breathing diesel fumes all freaking day and i'm just like all right i'm i i do not <laughs> this. this is, you know stick me back out on a 300 acre site or something where i don't have to be around this is too much for me man <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's pretty brutal but yeah uh, uh after a few weeks of that uh i'd like to say you get used to it but you don't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you don't man i was on that job for for a few for a little bit but uh yeah. Sometimes, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I actually, I, I, uh, I got quite used to that diesel uh, kind of fumes too. I actually, uh, I've grown used to it though. I like the diesel fumes. I, I don't know why. I like the smell of diesel. I like the smell of, uh, like the burnt gunpowder or uh, CLP, like the gun oil. Yeah. Well, I like burnt gunpowder. I like sulfur. I like. I mean, there's like interesting smells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, when I was in Afghanistan, that's what I did was operated heavy equipment. 
and we would operate all the graders, dozers, and loaders, and you have to have water truck. You'd drive the water truck out there spraying water just, just to keep all the dirt down so you could oh see. Oh, my gosh. You just gave me, like, an image of um, uh, shit, uh, in the Army now with Polly Shore, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I freaking love that movie. Mm-hmm. Polly Shore is underrated, damn it. He is. Oh, Gosh, man. Son-in-law where he jumped in the combine. Yeah, Crawl. Yeah, man. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you ever watch Goofy Movie? Please tell me you watched Goofy Movie. Of course I watched Goofy Movie. All right, man. So my daughter just watched Goofy Movie. She said that to me the other day when we were driving. Oh, man. Shit. It, you have to watch Goofy Movie. Every That's every awesome. kid our yeah. generation has to watch. Yeah. Say kid. Every person our generation has to watch Goofy Movie. Yuck. Uh, so my daughter, who's seven, just, uh, you know, we have Disney Plus, all that fun stuff, which has been a godsend during COVID. Um, <laughs> my daughter always says, hi, dad. And I'm like, hi, dad, soup. Like, you know, because he talks about hi, dad, soup. They're stuck in the car with Bigfoot on the roof. Mm-hmm. And dude, I can quote this whole damn movie. But uh, <laughs> she's like, well, why do you keep saying that? I'm like, goofy movie. So anyway, she watched it. She'd watched it when she was younger, but she watched it again. She watched the second one uh just just like two days ago and uh you know the whole time this is going on I, uh bobby the guy that's like uh chatter wins yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's probably sure man yeah probably sure man yeah. like I, so, so uh yeah i just like started thinking about Polly Shore. like yeah i miss Polly Shore movies yeah were they family friendly can i watch this with my kids probably not, not but, family friendly yeah. no <laughs> Oh gosh, what was that one with him and Brendan Fraser, Iceman, or uh, was oh, cave, uh, he was a caveman. Uh, um, gosh, what was it? Encino Man. Encino Man, yeah, dude, yeah. dude, that was my shit. Encino yeah. Man. Yeah, that was good, man. Yeah, I like that one. Oh man. Damn. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> another tangent. Holly <laughs> Shore tangent, man. Holly Shore tangent. We need sound effects, man. We do. We do. Yeah. We do. We need, we need like beer pouring sound effects. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't even make a beer sound effect. Damn it. <laughs> uh, man, this is my. This is literally my last beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my last one as well. Although and, it's still uh, full, so I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, but got uh, some bourbon over there and some smidge of scotch still. Yeah. But uh, uh, anyways, man, sorry, dude. tangent, where were we? Um, training, training, communication. Um, you know, like in an ideal situation, everybody you train knows knows their per- perfect job, but that's just not the way things work. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of, uh, you know, contractors with from the union halls and all that sort of stuff. Union halls do a great job of teaching people the way that they need to do stuff. Um, unfortunately, you know, from what I've seen, uh, not very many of them become drafters. Um, you know, they might be BIM coordinators or something like that, but they're not the ones doing the drafting work. So at the end of the day, they're still having to redo somebody else's work and, and, you know, train somebody else because those guys are fresh out of college or, uh, yeah. And and not knocking fresh out of college people, college. No, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. At at that point in time. No. Yeah. Um, like I, I guarantee you, man, if I got back into production, I wouldn't know shit. I wouldn't nope. know. 
Like you would probably have to retrain, man. Yeah, I mean, I know a little bit, but at the same time, production is so much different because okay. you're thinking different ways, and then each project is different. It, yeah, it it would take some training. It would. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that said, um, you know, I think the we're gonna solve this problem right now. The answer <laughs> is communication. It the is. Answer is a, a workflow that incorporates their latest designs being uploaded to the field team, you know, maybe it's a designated personnel, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a reviewer on the, you know, like a senior drafter or senior designer or something like that, um, who is saying, actually, no, you can't do this. And here's why. Um, because over time that person's going to end up training. That's yes. what that is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's what has to happen. They have to keep sharing that knowledge, passing that knowledge and continue yep. to bridge that gap. But I mean, I, we're, we're just not seeing it yet. I mean, enough of it yet. I've say. run into many people that are like, you know, they're of the mind that's, oh, we've got to get our field person, like, you know, Johnny out in the field, like this dude installs ductwork like nobody's business. He knows how everything's supposed to do. Like, you know, yep. he he knows, you know, the best way to cut it. Train him how to draft. The same cost. Well, let's train him how to draft. And it's like, well, you know, sometimes that works. It actually works quite a bit. But, yep. um, you know, a lot of times it doesn't work, too, though. It's... Uh, uh, then you, you gotta know. teach him Dynamo. <laughs> <laughs> teach him uh, Dynamo too. <laughs> Stuff gets well, real but, cool. But old Johnny there, he's uh, you know, he's great at at installing the duct. But uh, you tell him to model the duct, he is so inefficient. Like you could have actually had, you know, a college, uh, you know, college graduate or, or somebody who went to a technical school or, or somebody who just picked up Revit, whatever it is, do the dang thing for him with his guidance in half the time. Um, and Johnny's still doing his, you know, normal, you know, 40, 60 hour a week yep. uh, installing because Johnny is a phenomenal installer. He's not a great drafter. Yeah. But that's also where I think those design build firms have a leg up in that instance, you know, in terms of they have that internally. I mean, some in some you, ways, if they you, have those. You think so. But more often than not, they're both siloed teams. So when I talk to a design build firm, they're like, yeah, we've got design build. Well, you do. Okay. Uh, and then you chat with them. It's like, well, actually, our design designers are either outsourced, a which is a big lie. You can't put design build if you're outsourcing your design. It just bothers yeah, no, you. no, you're build specking, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, we've got a contract with a uh, with an architect who who does all of our designs, or a drafter who does all our designs. For us. Yeah, come on now. Uh, but that happens a lot, um, yeah. especially with firms that are really big, um, like. So I do a lot with like pole barn companies, stuff like that. And they'll be like, yeah, we're design build. It's like, well, you outsource all of your design. You're not really design build. Um, but anyways, yep. not picking on anybody. Um, but the other side of that, though, is if if you are design build, unless you're like one of the big guys, you, you even if you are one of the big guys, your teams are segregated. They're designers that know the software but they don't necessarily know the the, the constructability aspect so one it goes through constructability then it goes through you know uh, value at value engineering and then it goes to coordination yeah. um and then by the time it makes it back through that you know back to that model it's probably been revised like four times and that 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 guy you know he's getting the same damn you know on the job education as the the guy in a non-design build firm because he didn't know what to do from the beginning yeah. i don't know man that's where I think, like these, um, like I said, these communication tools. Uh, and you had an interesting encounter with uh, an engineering firm recently. 
um, that you got, you were doing, I think, a BIM 360 demo or a plan yep. grid or something like that. Well, actually, it started with Bluebeam and then went into uh, BIM 360. And honestly, both methods work. Like if you thinking about it, if you think about it, like both methods communicating, like getting people involved in the process to communicate sooner, works both ways. It's just, do you want to use BIM 360 document management, or would you rather use Bluebeam Studio? Yeah. You know, and, and the beautiful thing about it is, they're both pretty cheap, so you can go one way or the other. Pick your poison. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I like, you know. I like the markup capabilities. I'm not picking one over the other. I like the markup capabilities of Bluebeam as opposed to BIM 360. Yep. But at the end of the day, I like BIM 360's um, issues uh, and issues and, and comparison tools and checklist and the oh, coordination. Well, the, the check. I mean, those are different modules. If we're just talking well, okay, about yeah, I'm, I'm saying like in general, like the it, with the full functionality of it, if you can push it all the way out and you, oh, yeah. you can utilize it all system, to that sense. It makes yes. Sense. I'm just thinking yeah. about Docs in general, though. Like Docs in general versus Bluebeam. Bluebeam has a great uh, – their uh, – their, It's uh, awesome. Uh, it really is. Their markup tools are unrivaled. The fact that mm-hmm. we can invite, what, 500 people to a studio session that yeah. off of – I'm the only person with a paid license, but I can invite 499 other people to it without licenses. Yep. That's pretty damn good. I mean, um, all of their integrations, the API integrations that they have, projects and sessions are are awesome. They really are. And then when you start looking into um, drawings, now they're pushing out into mobile. You know, just sharing the drawings through a mobile platform. That's that's great. And the data that you can track, actually, and the metadata that you can take, even from not even not just comments, but the design, the PDF itself. Uh, I think 2D and 3D PDFs, when they brought out 3D PDFs, I was like, man, this is awesome, you know? And then you jump into BIM 360, and you're like, oh, I have a full model viewer. <laughs> I can push on everything and, you know, kind of compare this difference. See, with Bluebeam, I love the compare and overlay tools. Fantastic, right? They're very cool. But you jump into BIM 360, and you jump into a model comparison, and you're actually looking at the square footage is that change because you made this change or yeah. the amount of brick that you have on this face changes because you changed the window. Right. And it's, it, it starts like kind of really, um, I want to say rationalizing, but kind of, it, it, it sets all those factors kind of right in front of you. And you're like, well, oh, it, okay, it's easier to conceptualize than just sliding a bar back and forth and saying, okay, we're overlaying you know, yep. uh, the different changes or color coded changes. It's literally telling you this is changed by this many, you know, square feet or the volume has changed or whatever it is. It's telling you what's changed by how much. So it's like, oh, actually, man, this, you know, this might be a costly effect. Um, and if you yes. tie it into like what uh, JE Dunn's doing with their lens uh, estimation platform. So whenever you, I don't know if you're familiar with JE Dunn's tool, but whenever you, whenever they upload a new model, um, through the large model viewer with BIM 360, it automatically ties back to their estimation database and it breaks yeah. it apart. And it's all based off that large model viewer. So we're talking about compare tools. It's yeah. kind of the same thought. Well, I know that this amount of square footage has changed as far as brick, blah, 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 blah. And it's just, you know, running through the calculations saying it's actually this change is going to cost you X amount of money. It's it's pretty remarkable when you think about these sort of things. Yeah, dude. Um, the, you know, the... Not again, not shitting on Bluebeam. I think Bluebeam is a phenomenal product. 
this isn't a, a them versus you know BIM 360. Yeah, I'm just yeah, no, no. Picking features I like from each. Yeah. Uh, so Bluebeam, I, I really like. Again, really like the markup tools. Uh, BIM 360, I really like version compare. I like issues. I like being able to place issues on a 3D model. Like if I open it up, zoom in, boom, this this does not belong here. Yeah. You know, hey Dave, fix this. You have till tomorrow. I've got to get you know a new drawing set out. Boom. You upload and we're ready to go. You, when yep. you get the email, you you uh, you make the change, you upload, ready to go. And I know the stuff that's ha- coming from Autodesk too. Um, and you know, I'll say it. Uh, uh, you know, we've got issues in Navisworks. It it only makes sense. Knock on wood here, that you'll get issues in Revit soon without yeah. getting much away. Um, it's just uh, being able to open the design application and say, oh, you know, you know. Where is On this, this project? Clash, I got all these issues. Issue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, got all these issues in this model. Let's address them in the design application now yep. and then re upload to BIM 360, yep. knowing all those issues are resolved. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a phenomenal. Huge key portion of design review in general. You know, I, I when I was working in produ- production, I would get the architect's red line set right in front of me and I'd be kind of going through and I'd have a green highlighter and I would kind of go through my drawing and try to green highlight everything on the, the, the check set that I needed to correct in the model and hoping that I didn't miss anything and hoping they didn't miss anything. And then, you know, you're kind of going back and forth from that point. If you, if you think about getting involved here and um, just, I, I guess, seeing how things kind of change earlier in the process and, and connecting that all together, it, it just makes so much more sense. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think the evolution of these platforms, um, and I, you know, there are, there are lots of them, Revitzo and uh, yep. Revisto. I always say that wrong, man. I want to say Revit. Revitzo. Revitzo, I think it is. It's right? Revisto. I think the Z is before the T. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I always butcher this, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad at um, names too. Yeah, it's all right. It's software. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, no, dude, I think, you know, with issues and, and everything that we can create, and if you can connect the, uh, let's say, Navisworks or Revit, like connecting that design review process off of a piece of paper and taking that into the model itself, right? I mean, right now, we usually do a search by element ID, and I can find the element ID off of clash detection and, or off of, let's say, BIM 360 coordinate, I can find that element ID, search for it, and change it in Revit, but that's a document. That's something else that I'm going back and forth and trying to navigate through. And, I mean, it is what it is. And most of the time, you're going to catch most of them or all of them, but it takes you a lot more time. If you can actually take out that middleman, right, because that's really what we – I think that what we kind of obsess with that is is eliminating that that middle ground. Why can't we just go from point A to point B? Why do I need an A, B, C? You know, why can't I just go here to here? And um, really, I guess I should have said A to C in that sense instead of A, B, C. But anyways, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. So why can't we just go from here to here? So if we can actually take those issues um, from straight from coordination into that design portion, it only makes sense. You can navigate through that and adjust that design accordingly. Have you installed uh, issues for Navisworks yet? No, dude, I haven't done that yet. Unfortunately. Uh, you you got to get on it, man. So I was chatting with Zach Kramal. Uh, Kramal? Kramal? I always butcher his last name. Kramal? Kramal? Anyways. Zach. Zach. Zach, man. Zach. Uh, Zach. Yeah, yeah. 
And Zach from uh, <laughs> Zach from Autodesk. The layout guy, man. No, the layout uh, guy. Layout guy. No, he is the cool uh, dude we drink with at AU. <laughs> yes. I you know the the one thing I miss most about uh, outside of you know uh, friends, obviously, but the thing I miss most about uh, Portland uh, outside of friends is being is the contacts I had at Autodesk. So for for those of you guys that I don't know. Um, Autodesk has a lot of, I'll say key, but you know, I'm going to say key, key staff on the, on the construction side, um, outside of Portland, at Portland. And, and it's a funny instance because Portland used to be before they built that Portland office, it was, they were in Lake Oswego, which is about 30 minutes South in Lake Oswego. That whole office was founded as, uh, the inventor team. So Inventor was a Portland, you know, Portland-based uh, acquisition. Autodesk set up shop there, and and uh, uh, they just kind of retained that staff. Well, as they moved to downtown, I've just noticed they've just like hired more phenomenal people, like uh, Josh Cheney, mm-hmm. uh, Zach Ramal relocated from Denver. Um, uh, then you've got, um, uh, damn it, what's his name? Uh, Esteban uh, Corrales. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people out of that Portland office that are just phenomenal. They just know their stuff. Um, really great people. Uh, Zach and Josh were, were always a pleasure. We'd go down to Wayfinder. Um, we take, you know, uh, construction professionals or, yeah. you know, pe- people that we'd, we'd, uh, were hanging out with at the time and we'd all go down to, to Wayfinder and eat some sandwiches or, or some, some, drink some, you know, some food and drink some delicious beer. But I, I do miss that quite a bit because here in uh, Pittsburgh, um, I haven't really connected with many of the uh, of the Autodesk staff. They actually closed their office here. There are quite a number of people that are still located here out of Pittsburgh, and I believe they were on the recap team. Um, but uh, I just uh, I don't know them that well. So, oh, wow. so it's, oh man, gotta gotta start over with Autodesk. Yep, that's all right. Yep, yep. It's uh, I got my connections in the hub. I got my connections in New York and Boston and and. You know, San Fran and Portland, but uh, come on, Pittsburgh people, reach out to me. <laughs> I'm lonely. Oh, oh man. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had a, a lot of great connections with uh, a lot of large, you know, BIM people here. There's a big brewing scene here, uh, yeah. especially amongst uh, BIM people, which is awesome. Um, I'd love to get these people on the podcast at some point in time. Um, it's just, uh, we, you know, we need a little bit more of an Autodesk presence here. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Building it. We're building it. Building it, damn it. Building it. Dude, uh, I don't know if I've told you the – I seem to have a knack, an, an un, um, unintended knack for finding, like, uh, hot spots for, like, construction – unbeknownst to me right yeah so uh moved from uh you know i've lived in tennessee and iowa and massachusetts and then we ended up in texas um um i don't know a few years before the recession i guess Mm -hmm. um and then you know construction is still booming we don't feel the recession and then we moved to portland and oh my gosh man in like four years in portland my house went up uh, it doubled in price or, or yeah. uh, 50% in price. It went up 50% in price wow. in you know, four years. Insane. Insane amount of money. Uh, just that's insane. 
now that I live in Pittsburgh, um, the projects that are going on here are insane. The robotics investment here from, you know, all the big tech companies uh, is insane. We've got Apple, we've got Google, we've got uh, Uber, we've got self-driving cars, robots that do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and it's all based around Carnegie Mellon here. But mm -hmm. the projects that are going on, there's probably, I think, three multi-billion dollar projects going on right now in, in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh metro. That's, I mean, it's pretty damn significant. Yeah, yeah. dude. Multi-billion dollar. That's insane. In the, the Pittsburgh metro. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, man. Pretty cool stuff. On the man. come up. On the come up. On the come up. <laughs> this is my last paper, I promise. <laughs> I love it. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Well, we don't want sound effects. I'll be the sound effects guy. How about oh, that? yeah, there you go. Do a little beatbox for you guy. Why don't you try? Sorry. That's awesome. Did you have any more thoughts on the uh, the training aspect and the communication? I we keep saying Blue Bean, BIM 360. Yeah. Solve it. That's your that's your problem. But what about like, you know, uh, I want to pose a situation then scenario. What about an external for firm? So we're, I mean, most of the stuff we were talking about was mostly internal issues. Mm -hmm. What about external? Um, you know, they're using Pinnacle or some, you know, not 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 single out Pinnacle, just somebody like them. That's a uh, you know a drafting service. Mm -hmm modeling service provides model uh, to the field teams. Uh, the field teams, what what do they do then, right? So they, they use this model of coordination because they were obligated to do 3D BIM, um, uh, but they don't have drafters in the house. So, I mean, what would you say to those guys then? Do they have to go back to the third-party modelers and and uh, have it redrawn? Or, or I mean, what, what's your at thoughts that on point, this? I mean, well, you're right there at that point. You're, you're kind of you're, – you're already in the process and you're going with it. But I think uh, at that point it has to be lesson learned and you need to understand what, well, not you need to understand, but uh, <laughs> at that point it's lessons on. learned. And yeah, no, well, I mean, it, it kind of is, but it isn't. It, it It's, you know, you, you take your bumps and, and, and then you kind of learn moving forward. Um, like, hey, let's develop a good execution plan um, or, hey, let's develop a good idea of what we need. Uh, in our contract um, to be constructible and understand that, um, you know, well, if this company these... is not developed in that way. Well, I was just going to say, and if that firm is not developed in that way to know what our constructability requirements are, then, you know, we stop them sooner in the process and we get involved sooner in the process. And that's understood, understood at, at, for this job, like at, at that at that point in the timeline, right? So that the bid is adjusted, everything is adjusted based off of that. If that's not understood going into it, then you're setting yourself up. I don't want to say for failure, but I mean it's a little bit of failure. It's for a little a bit headache, of regret. Yeah, you got a bad, least, you yeah. got you got a bad taste in your mouth, man, and it's a bad project. You don't want to do that again. Um, so the sooner that you can get these kind of contractual ideas, kind of these timelines, these phases, you want to say, um, of an idea of where you want them to stop. Because at that point, this is no longer going to benefit you. You know what I mean? This design, let's get it here to this LOD or whatever it is to this phase. And at that point, there's a handoff because 
we're going to lose more time and money if you keep going with this. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a perfect point. Um, I've run into a lot of firms that'll bid a BIM project, they'll outsource the BIM. I know a few GCs that'll outsource outsource the the uh, concrete model, and uh, you know, for five grand or whatever it is, they'll end up with a with a pretty complete model. The issue is, is that model constructible? Like, can I do anything with this? Is there a back and forth that needs to happen? Does that add to my cost? You know, it's definitely yep. going to add to my damn schedule. Yep. Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. When you start to think about poor schedules and, and uh, constructability and all that sort of stuff, um, I really probably can't do what I need to do based off of this outsourced model because I didn't have the communication. They don't know our, our codes here. Maybe they're yep. in, you know, Massachusetts or uh, Philippines or India or whatever they're at, they're, you know, they, I mean, yeah, you know, their design Portland, Oregon are different. Whatever, right? Yeah, it's different, yeah. right? You know, it's international different. building code is international building code, but um, there are local regulations that still need to be followed. And that said, maybe we're not we're not uh, set up to execute in this way. We still need to do it this way. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've seen quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I just, I'm not involved in those conversations with like, well, what do you do on the next project, right? Because yeah, yeah. By then they're like, we're gonna stop bidding BIM. <laughs> yeah, right. That nope. Hey, wait, guys. Let's see. You know, it's after. Um, I I call it a. Um, I wanted to call it an AAR, but it's not an after action review. It's like an A-A-R-P. after pro after project <laughs> review. We're gonna call it like an APR. We're talking about your house mortgage. No, but like a, an annual like or after project review, right? See what what could have went better, what went wrong, yeah, you know, yeah. and and how to approach the next project that we do. But you know, building off of that and saying, okay, with this BIM this BIM stuff, we need this amount of information. We need this BIM stuff to go to this level of detail in order to for us to continue where we need to go and. Unfortunately, um, it's good, it's good, it's a learning curve. There's a learning phase that comes out of it, you know, because you got to learn about it in order to adjust to it. We adapt, we overcome, right? We're constantly adapting, we're constantly growing, and seeing what we can change and what we can what we can adjust. And and I think especially when you're working with these third-party firms um, that don't understand. And I mean, it's not it's not to to. Uh, say bad against anybody or anything for going to a third-party firm. I no, I'm not saying that you at all. Projects, just, you're you're doing what you you know exactly. right. I have it, no qualm, qualms or quarry with anybody that does it. Exactly. I think in in in, some, in a lot of instances it actually works out to their advantage. I just think that um, you know if you get a bad taste in your mouth because of it, it's not the BIM that get, got you a bad taste in it. It's the lack of understanding. Exactly. The or lack the communication. of communication. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's got to happen. And it, it, I mean, and at some point it's learning. It's all learning and adapting, as I said there, um, to what you need and what would make things easier. Right. We want, we constantly want to work smarter, not harder. Well, in that sense, you might have to you might have to play stupid a couple times or I mean, be stupid a couple times in order to learn this information to become smarter. And that and it is what it is. But Talk to others, communicate as much as you can on what your expectations are. Set those expectations as early as you can, that, and and try to kind of compromise. That's probably a good point. Is set expectations. 
Because I promise you, if you've got a three-story building, I can bust out your concrete model for $5,000. You're not going to be happy with it, but I can do it still. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> but I can do it. I promise you, man. Oh, I'm sorry. You wanted rebar placement? You wanted rebar in that? You wanted those couplers joined together? What are you talking mm. about? You wanted me to tie those? And bits? I, sorry, I didn't realize you wanted any of this what? stuff. What? <laughs> you said a concrete model. I drew a bunch of blocks. Sorry, man. <laughs> it With says concrete. concrete on it. Yes, the material is concrete. <laughs> Pudding. <laughs> a check mark. <laughs> Oh, you wanted me to check local building code to make sure they were set to the accurate depth? Sorry, guys. How oh, is this bearing or retaining? I don't know. Yeah. Womp womp. Works. Yep, yep. Well, hey, man. Um, not to jump topics, but uh, I came to you with a problem earlier this week. We were talking about IFC models. Oh, yeah, dude. Yep, yep. We were talking about layouts. We were talking about um, a lot of fun stuff in this regard, right? And, and I know layout with IFC is kind of a pain in the butt, man, but I found the workflow, dude. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and then it gets more amazing as you look at BIM 360, by the way. I don't know if you've done I this yet. I haven't watched the video that, that, that he sent over. I really wanted to watch it. I just no, 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 no. Don't, don't. That video has nothing to do with BIM 360. That's a, a, a Topcon magnet, and that's about working with IFC files and magnet, which is a cool okay. process. Uh, well, I thought so, it was exporting IFC files from Revit so you could get them to recognize the families to do layout for. You know, so you and I had this great idea for, for doing the layout through Revit by bringing in the IFC and then mapping. Yeah, that's that, right. I, mapping the IFC categories. Mapping the IFC categories to Revit and then figuring it out. That is so freaking tedious and it is a pain in the butt. Unless you are working with a template that is set to your Tecla or whatever you're using, yep. um, for you know that you're bringing the IFC from mapping the actual to IFC. To oh my gosh. Categories are so they match your Revit categories. It's, and and then that I don't even know if I can select and, and place an instance family on them. I don't know how that. Like I haven't. I just I just gave up. I was like I I am not gonna yeah, do this. Too much. Yeah. It's too much. But after playing with the workflow a little bit, I found two things. Right. So one is we can export. You know I. I specifically had people that I worked with that export the the DWG out of the IFC, so they'll open it in CAD, export a DWG. The issue is we're not laying out in 3D when we export a DWG. Um, The IFC, when you export an IFC, for whatever reason, it loses elevation on each individual element. So even though, uh, you know, I open up in CAD and I see, you know, this is, this column is 12 feet above, you know, above the, 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 the base, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, whenever I bring that into any any file, data collectors, whatever, it doesn't recognize that elevation. It's not correlated based off of, um, like the known elevation is not correlated throughout. It, it's whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't know why it does this, but it specifically happens with IFC files. So then I'm only laying out in 2D. If I want to lay out in 3D, then I have to bring in that IFC file, yeah. and then I can lay out in 3D um, using uh, using the IFC file, or I can switch back to 2D and use the the DWG. Yeah, but, but what I found an issue with it recognizing like the edges and stuff in the IFC to do the layout. It it, it is, but uh, uh, that's program specific, and I actually found a workflow for that that actually works out pretty well. Okay. Uh, the thing I found out that works even more amazing is BIM 360. So if I actually open this in Navisworks 
And I've done a lot of stuff, a lot of layout stuff in Navisworks, uh, opening inventor files and, you know, coordinated models and all that sort of stuff where I'm doing my layout based off of that. Um, but I've, I've never really played with the IFC functionality. So if I just create my selection sets, I can actually place my APL points pretty dang freaking easily. So, you know, uh, if it's Tecla, select by Tecla element category, um, whatever it is, it automatically uh, groups those together. And I can say place on geometry, place on all the, the corners, all that sort of stuff. Or if it's pipe, you know, place on, you know, top center, whatever, whatever I'm trying to do. Um, and it'll place those points. But if I go to the BIM 360 and I do, um, uh, you know, BIM, next to BIM 360, the current yeah. version of 360, I do, uh, I open up, you know, I got it on my phone. I'm connecting my total station. I do um, uh, import APL points. Yep. It converts all those APL points to issues because that's the way this version yep. of BIM 360 works. Um, then I can actually create new points on any, you know, corner, line, whatever I yeah. want, it'll automatically allow me to just touch and place a point very oh, easily. Oh, dude, I didn't even think about that. I knew you could lay out points with the new version of, of oh, layout, so but I didn't even think man. about that. That's funny. Dude, dude, made my life so much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm very happy about that workflow. Uh, I know this is off topic, but I was just, I was pretty excited oh, about dude, it. Dude, that's awesome. I mean, it's another BIM workflow we can talk about, and you know, hashtag sharing knowledge. That's what it's about, man. That's, That's what, what it's about, about man. That, Dude, exactly. I've, I've had a little, uh, a lot of good little knowledge tips and wins that that have come out of uh, this past week or week and a half since we last chatted. That um, I'm really excited about, man. I think uh, not only Autodesk is making great changes, our, our employer is making great changes. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I, there's a great benefit to the industry that's happening. Uh, I, I think I chatted with you earlier about this uh, new premium plan that Autodesk is rolling out. Um, dude, I work with so many companies that have offices in other countries. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, but, uh, that's going to be pretty awesome. Now they can all buy through one office. One, yep. Yeah, through the premium Makes plan. so much more sense, honestly. Makes life easier, man. Love it. Well, it's, it makes the license management a lot easier when you're assigning, when you're trying to figure things out, if you're going for tech support, what have you. It just makes things a lot, I want to say, simpler in terms of, hey, it's just a one-stop shop. I've chatted with two companies today that had offices, and uh, one had offices in five countries, one had offices in three countries. One IT guy is managing licenses at each one of those firms for multiple countries. That'd be insane, dude. Yeah, that's, that's a pain in the butt, so uh, pretty excited about that. Um, yep. I don't know what else is what else is changing. What else is new that's worth bringing up this this week's uh, on this week's episode? Mm -mm. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure what else. I mean, we've already Revit 2021's old news at this point. Um, that was a, a well listened to uh, podcast episode, by the way, man. Really? Uh, the metrics on it. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. Fun, All right. Our Heck yeah. Episode and our website. I think our website got like 180. Uh, views just based off of that or our post on Revit 2021. Really? All right. Yeah, our little know nothing podcast website, man. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. Hey, uh, so while I'm thinking about it, I want a brewing with Bim hat. I'm wearing a Tito's today, but I want to I want a brewing with Bim hat. Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking about this, man. I want uh, some brewing. We we. Uh, it's been almost a year. And I know it's been almost a year because I got the um, renewal bill for our website. Did you website, get the bill? <laughs> for our website. 
Yeah. Um, so, uh, with, with, you know, on our website, I, I kind of like singled it out and said, oh, and we've got great ideas for swag or whatever. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't quote me. Statistics and all. No, statistics and stuff, yeah. <laughs> that should be a shirt. Statistics and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, don't quote me on statistics. Don't quote me on statistics and stuff. Um, but, but I was thinking about it. I was like, man, we really need to get up on this bandwagon. Like, we've had some great ideas for some swag, man. Whether it's a koozie, you know, a beer bottle opener, a hat, a t-shirt. Uh, I had this idea for uh, hot sauce, construction grade hot sauce. Uh, yeah. For those of you guys that don't know, I am a famous chef. Not really, but uh, <laughs> uh, but you I've are actually, though. You do have a picture with Alyssa Milano, so I, I do. I've cooked for Alyssa Milano, George W. Bush, Rick Perry. Uh, You're like a Sensei Fox, celebrity. yeah, man. Former uh, former, you know, president of Mexico. You know, nothing. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've I've, I've cooked uh, great meals for these guys. I've actually made several, you know, iterations of hot sauce. I'm, you know, I. I'm not from Texas, but I did, you know, spend most of my life in Texas, and um, I, uh, I brewed many hot sauce. I brewed my own srirachas. I fermented um, my peppers. Like I, I get down on this stuff, and I think yeah. making a construction grade hot sauce is the key. I think, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, is very potent but delicious. Dude, I think, I think we, should, we should bottle I some think stuff, man. Blueberry habanero is what I'm feeling. Blueberry, blueberry habanero. I'd go for that, man. That sounds pretty good. I'd go for that. I'd go for that. Right meow. Right meow? Right meow. Yeah. <laughs> Super, Super troopers, troopers on the brain, yeah. yeah. Um, did you watch uh, part two? Yes. Yeah, so yes, yeah, so definitely watch. Not as good, but still great. No, but still great, yeah. yeah, still yeah. Great. Although I'm still waiting for uh, the second uh, beer fest pot. What is it? Weed fest? Is that coming? I don't know. I don't. I've I've never seen anything from it. But I, if they could do a second beer fest, that would be amazing. Or beer a league. weed fest. Beer a, pot fe- a beer league. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. It's beer league. Das boot. Das boot. Beer league. I, I think, think it's beer a, league. Nah, dude. I think it's I think it's beer fest. I think it is. Is beer oh. league a different movie? Oh man, what is Come it? Come on, Google. Don't fail me now. Oh, Google. Yeah. Oh, Beer League is a different movie. It Beer is, Fest. Yeah. yeah. Beer Fest. And then they, they did a thing right at the end of the movie for the was like day. Pot Fest. Yeah, Pot Fest. And it never came. Beer Fest Part 2. And it was Willie Nelson showed up, and it was a super secret pot smoking competition. And I was like, all right, any movie with Willie Nelson and smoking weed, I am down. Let's go. This is going to be amazing. Damn hippie, man. I, uh, I I actually miss that genre of like stupid movies, the Broken Lizard, the oh, you know yeah. the dodgeball, the oh, you know sterile, and I like the I taste. <laughs> oh. I drink my urine. <laughs> I I, lo- I miss those uh, that genre oh, of movies. Gosh, man. yeah, it's dude. not something I'd you know watch all the time. I'm a I don't know if you know this, but I'm a big fan of epics. Like um, right now I'm doing so I, Gladiator is probably like my top favorite movie of I all love time. Gladiator. That favorite. is Russell Crowe as Russell Crowe, yes. Yep, yep. Oh, uh, dude, like, Miz is on that list too. Russell Crowe's in that one as well. Man, dude can sing, dude. Um, but uh, lately, I've been watching uh, The Last Kingdom. Uh, Uhtred. Oh, of- yeah, the- dude. That's I- dude from, uh, uh, what was that? The motorcycle. Um, gosh, what was it? <laughs> 
Anarchy? No, no, no. Alexander no. Or Alex Draymond. Uh, what? Who? Wait, who was in? You said the, the Last Kingdom. Yeah, the Last Kingdom. Um, the guy from. Um, oh, dude. Okay, I got you from Viking. Is that what it is? No, no. The guy from Viking isn't even from from that show. Oh, good lord. Are you thinking of like Ragnar is um, no Charlie no. Dunham or something? Like that? Yeah, it was Charlie Dunham. Charlie Hun- was, uh, Charlie Hunman. Yeah. It's Charlie Hunman. That's it. Charlie. Yeah, and I can't remember what movie it was. It was uh. I don't think he was in a Viking movie though. No, it wasn't a Viking movie. It was actually a medieval movie. Uh, what was it? Maybe not, dude. I am all over the freaking place right now. That's probably not even it. King Arthur. Yeah, he was in King yeah, Arthur. Yeah, King Arthur. That's probably what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking there was one, um, some movie with the Last Kingdom or something like the fall. I don't know. Whatever. Well, the Last Kingdom is a show. It's got four seasons out uh, on Netflix. I'm on the fourth season right now. I am like addicted to. I was addicted to Vikings. Uh, I never got into like Lord of Rings. I don't do like the mystical, anything like that. But I, anything that is like so-called historical, I do a lot of air quotes when I'm drinking. Uh, <laughs> so-called, so-called historical, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, but um, uh, you know, like Vikings was great. You know, Ragnar, man, freaking mm-hmm. fantastic. But uh, uh, Alex Draymond, Alexander Draymond. Uh, the whole like cast that does, you know, does this movie, like this TV series, it's phenomenal. The guy that played um, King Alfred, these are actually real characters. If you Google them, like King Alfred, Alfred the Great, phenomenal uh, guy. You know, try to reunite England, help beat the Danes, uh, try to lead all the Saxons. Like these are historical people. Uh, the uh, it's based actually on a book by somebody, but uh, I think it's called the Saxon Chronicles. But it's um, it it uh the all the people that are in it are, are real historical figures. Maybe the timelines don't mix, and maybe there's some dramatic stuff to it, but it's still interesting to see. Because I find myself like randomly googling people, like you know, uh, Canute of uh, the Vikings. I'm like, oh, what you know, is this guy a real person? It's like, oh yeah, he was. He actually helped. You know, like it all fits. It's pretty pretty interesting, man. Um, but if you haven't watched The Last Kingdom on Netflix, man, you're you're I really haven't. missing out. I'll have Dude, to check it out. It is addicting. Um, I think I started about a week and a half ago. I'm on season four. They're all 50-minute episodes. Uh, so the first, I think, three seasons are only eight episodes long. Or no, the first two seasons are eight episodes long, and the second two seasons are ten episodes long. So uh, I've got quite the amount of time invested. Uh, yeah. For all of you people, I still will never watch Game of Thrones, can you? Dude, I love Game of Thrones. Never gonna happen. I, I still love Game of Thrones, dude. I am about so it's funny, but um, I brought the bottle down here with me. Joey, you and I have talked about this. I uh, my grandpa is an avid, uh, avid Scotch drinker. He loves Scotch, and uh, he's kind of in in the last stages of life. And we've talked about uh, what he would want for his wake or celebration of life, and he actually wants me to. Um, Give, you know, let's give a toast and uh, drink, you know, a shot of, of scotch with everybody there. And um, 
I am. I love Game of Thrones. I'm sitting in the liquor store the other day here in uh, Walkerton, and I'm I'm looking, and I I see a bottle of scotch with the Lannister house on it, and I'm like, uh, I feel like that is not a good bottle of scotch for me to buy. But which Lannister are we talking about? Like, <laughs> which which Lannister are we getting here? But I decided not to go with that one, and decided to go with. The Macallan edition number five. So this is a very limited edition scotch. Um, and I'm very excited to, uh, well, not excited. That's That sounds horrible. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to try it, right? But not at the same time. Yeah, because the circumstances that we should be drinking. I'm just saying, man, for the amount of money you spent on that bottle, you should like pour that into a, a decanter. Yeah. And then pour like some Glenlivet Founders forty dollar bottle of scotch in there, and then give that to everybody, and you can enjoy. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there once, one shot. <laughs> give some to Grandma. Why is yours more me? cherry than mine? <laughs> I like that idea though. That's... <laughs> oh, are they scotch drinkers? You're not gonna know. Who cares? Yeah, right. There's gonna be that one person out there like, what is this shit? Who who does this? Yeah. Did you replace this with Glenn LeVay? <laughs> Glenn LeVay. Oh, the Budweiser of scotches. <laughs> Literally, that's, that's, I mean, honestly, that's how I associate it. I, I was never a, a scotch person growing up. Again, I grew up in Texas. It was always hot. I grew up in a college town. We, I drank whatever was cheap. I mean, I'm king of the, the dirty 30s. I used to, you know, kick ass on some Keystone Light. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it finished, you know, finished that stuff off and uh, in in, uh, in a day. Yeah, beer pong, man. Baby, man. Uh, middle light and Keystone. Keystone, Keystone light. light, dude. I went to one party where they tried to do Budweiser for beer pong. The worst thing ever. That's like, oh, why? We've, uh, we've run out of beer pong and used whiskey before. It is not a good idea. Yeah, I I did that once with vodka. We called oh, yeah. it vodka pong. Yep, yeah. We've, We've, oh, I forgot to say, we've done this with Everclear, and I don't think we finished a full game. I think uh, we're just throwing up. Ooh, you know, early. No. Yeah. Quit. Done. I can't do anything with Everclear now, dude. Oh. oh. Soaking the watermelon. That's the only thing you can do. Uh, <laughs> Make some jungle juice. Jungle juice, man. <laughs> just oh, just so pour it in a punch, giant tub. Garbage can punch. Yeah. Fruit in there. Yeah. yeah. That's it, man. Trash, trash can punch. That's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Oof, college memories there. Pre-college memories. High school yep. memories. Uh, memories for me. All the adults would come around and start freaking mixing shit. And you're like, what is this? Mom, it just tastes like Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Kool-Aid. Ooh, Jello. <laughs> That's not Jello. That's not Jello. My, my wife, uh, bless her heart, in the early days of us dating... Um, I made some Everclear Jello shots, and I, you know, I, I made them super sweet to kind of counteract the uh, the Everclear taste, right? Yeah. Uh, and she's like, I can't even taste the alcohol. There's like no alcohol in this. She had like 22 Jello shots that night, man. I swear, like the next two days was just, whoa. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. My, I, yep. You've seen my wife. She's like 110 pounds soaking wet, man. She's wet, four, yeah. four foot 11. She is tiny. Uh, and, uh, and she's pregnant right now. And I'm like, are, are 
you're still like 110 pounds. She <laughs> lost seven pounds being pregnant. I'm like, what the, the hell? Sweetest person ever, though. She's the she sweetest is. person She's awesome. ever. I love her. Yeah, but, she is. Uh, of course, I love her. But right. uh, I have to say, <laughs> no. <laughs> we are being recorded right now. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so early on in dating, uh, she drank all these shots. But the next day, she still managed to get up. And we had, like, this group of people coming over. Um, and we were doing a Thanksgiving feast for, like, 20 of our friends. Mm-hmm. Just a like, fun, like, get-together, you know, we, more drinking that night. She still managed to wake up. And even though she was a wreck, she cooked yeah. everything. And it was just oh. – it was fun. It was fun times. Nice. Yeah. Right then, I was like, "Damn it, I'm gonna marry this woman." Marry this woman. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. No, I I uh I knew that moment when I uh it was funny. I had a moment like that with Adrian. Me and my buddies were we've been drinking like half the day already. And when she got off work and she showed up over at my buddy's house, she's looking at us and she's like, "What? You know what? I want to get to where you guys are." Takes a glass and takes a bottle of like grape flavored vodka. And just pours it in the glass and just starts drinking. And I'm like looking at her and I'm like, wow. Okay. Okay. We'll see where this goes. <laughs> she, oh, that night was horrible. Was she was it. not. Well, that night was are. not good. The night was not good. It was involved. It, it, it involves uh, some hair holding and praying to the porcelain god. And, oh, yeah. My wife was you all know, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, yeah. But she totally recovered like a champ. And I was like, ah, you are the one. That's it. <laughs> that was a fun night for me, man. Like uh, I had a, a, a roommate at the time. We rented this house together and one of my wife's friends had come over and um, there was a lot of uh, truth or deer, 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 deer. Yeah. Deer, truth yes. or deer. Okay. <laughs> I would say, I say beer, like bear, like bear, you know, like you're going to bear. There's a lot of truth in some beer. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Truth or dare, dare, dare. Uh, anyways, uh, there was a lot of that that night, and uh, I do remember my roommate running around the block naked, which was hilarious during the daylight, because in Texas it, it stays sun forever, man. Yeah. I swear it's two in the morning and the sun's still out. Damn it, it's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, the things alcohol will make us do. Oh man, I love it, dude. Uh. And of course, I don't have that 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 type of. I mean, you're a fa- I'm a father. You're a father. You don't have yeah, that. Dude, type that of doesn't stuff. happen anymore. Oh no. This no. is this is me letting go. I'm three beers in. Yep. Uh, this is me letting go, man. I have four. Today's, I'm down four. Yeah, and that's it. Yep. I don't have another one. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my wife's family's not staying in New York. It's the whole reason uh, for moving cross country. Uh, and I'll get to hang out with them every once in a while. And uh, my uh, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, just married. We went to the Bahamas last year for their wedding. And uh, the guy, he's my age. He just graduated an MBA. He's, mm-hmm. he's a great guy. He's hilarious. He's fun. He likes to you know, go kayaking, hence why I'm buying in a kayak. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, like, they're just, like, I go over there, man. That's, like, the only real time I get to get shit-faced, man. Every other time it's, like, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Yeah. Let's, let's act accordingly. I have to wake up in the morning with these kids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Early I, as shit. <laughs> doesn't matter what time these kids go to bed, they'll be up at 7 a.m. 
Oh, dude, you're lucky. Not my, kids, my kids will be up at 5 or 6. <laughs> dude, yeah. it is nuts. They'd be in your face at 5 a.m. Like, hey, can I have some cereal? Yes, please, go go get some cereal. Go. <laughs> just give me but another hour. on the top shelf. Stand on your brother's shoulders. Uh, do just, we have a step stool? Do you know where the step stool is? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Pull-ups, dude. Sandwich chest. You want some cereal. <laughs> <sighs> I love it, man. Love it. Well, hey, man, we got off tangent quite a bit. We meant to talk about them a lot more, but uh, bottom line, boils down to communication. Um, oh, it does. Yes. Okay. And back, yeah. <laughs> and back around. Yes, communication is key, I think, for very, you know, uh, well, very many uh, anyways. <laughs> Beer is kicking no, no. in. <laughs> no, it's fine, man. We said what we wanted to say about communication. It, it yeah. Find a platform, whether whatever it is, whether not even just a platform, just a workflow, where you can bring in those non-educated uh, field staff, uh, non, non-field non staff that are educated. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to say people that don't know what the field staff know, not saying that the field staff don't know anything, damn it. No, I'm trying to say uh, people that don't know what the field staff know. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was piss poor version of my mouth. Cut, edit. Yeah, let's uh, put that on CNN. Yeah. <laughs> Small podcast channel. Uh, the incredible <laughs> staff as uh, being oh, ignorant and unknowing. Oh, shit, that's not what I said, damn it. Damn, damn it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, what I'm saying, though, is uh, the, field, the, the, the staff that are not the field staff, not as educated as the field staff, and the ways of constructability. Yeah. Um, Get get a communication cycle going. Get a get a platform. Whatever whatever that is, just you know, bring them in. Bring it's, as you as we said earlier, like setting expectations, communicating those expectations, communicating what you can do and cannot do, and what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, kind of in different areas, and learning to work together, making that symbiotic relationship that's going to benefit both parties. Because really, we're all out here to make money. We're all out here to get better. We all want this project to go. We want it to do to go well and seamlessly we don't like getting bad reviews i mean who does who likes change orders who likes losing money nobody so we all want to get better we want to do better so let's help each other let's lift each other up and and help like i said just communicate these issues and and work together as much as we can those are wise words to end on man i love it well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, another episode of Brewing with Bim where we jump on a bunch of tangents. We capture this much about Bim, and uh, we drink a lot of beer. So thanks. Woo-woo.